I invite you to stand as you are able as we join together in our call to worship. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to God with songs of praise. to remain standing and join me in the affirmation of faith in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and the life everlasting. Amen. I want to invite our third graders to come forward with their Bibles. So in Deuteronomy 11, 18 and 19, we are instructed to learn the word of God and to teach it to our children. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So today our third graders are receiving their Bibles and we are celebrating that together as a church community. So guys, as you receive the word of God, learn all its stories, study its words. Its stories belong to all of us, and these words speak to us all. They tell us who we are. They tell us what we belong and what we mean to one another and who we are as the people of God. And so will y'all turn around and face everybody? Congregation, I want to invite you to join me in the response in your bulletin. We rejoice in this step in your journey with God. We pray God will guide you, your family, and us as you use this Holy Bible in your home, in worship, and church ministries. We will learn together and grow in our love for God's Word. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat.
receive these joys and concerns of the congregation. We pray for all experiencing grief and loss this day, and our Christian sympathies are extended to Lilla Gordy and Ike Gordy, and the family and the death of their grandmother, Sandra Gordy. We pray for all who are ill or recently hospitalized, including Jack Myers, June Myers, Tony Ellis, Joan Ellison, Bobby Dennis, and Diane McGeorge. We also rejoice in the baptism of Lane Anthony Branstetter, child of Christian and Dylan Branstetter. And we give thanks for our new members, Karen Sullards and Ricky and Sandra Goforth. I invite you to join me in the congregational prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we humble children invoke your blessing on us. We adore you whose name is love whose nature is compassion, whose presence is joy, whose word is truth, whose spirit is goodness, whose holiness is beauty, whose will is peace, whose service is perfect freedom, and in knowledge of who stands our eternal life. Unto you be all honor and glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. thank you for your generosity each week and because you give we're able to have a wonderful day like this when we give out third grade Bibles many of you received your third grade Bible at Plasky Heights United Methodist Church so we're thankful for this special day for our third graders as you give today you can see on the back of your bulletin ways to give and also on the screen let us pray God your grace is sufficient so we thank you for every opportunity to give our tithes and our offerings for the building of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
I invite you to remain standing as we read from the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. I invite you to hear these holy words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by grace given me to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of God for the people of God. Before you're seated, please take a moment to greet each other in the name of Jesus Christ. We again say a word of greeting this morning to all of you. We're thankful for your presence today, those here in the sanctuary, as well as those streaming and watching on television. We're grateful for your presence. Uh, in honor of the celebration of the life of the Queen tomorrow, we want to say a special word of greeting this morning to those in England, Arkansas, Princeton, Kingland, and the Queen. See how I did that? I thought that was pretty creative. You all give me some credit. But we say a word of greeting to all of those across the state of Arkansas who watch our service of worship. We, of course, also say a word of greeting to those in nursing homes and hospitals who are with us in this worship experience as well. We're very thankful and grateful for your presence. We're grateful to have all of you here today, whether on television, online, or to be present here in this beautiful sanctuary. Let us pray. O oh Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen. We tend to be products of our own experience or environment. For example, people in England and in Boston and in Birmingham all speak the English language, but they do not pronounce the words the same. It's because we have different accents based on our own experience, our own environment. The same is true when we think about what it is we eat. 
For example, people in Mexico do not eat the same kind of food, generally speaking, that people in Japan or in Italy eat. We are products of our own environment, our surroundings, our own experience. It oftentimes shapes who we are and what we know. Certainly it's true in the life of the church as well. For example, Roman Catholics emphasize to a great deal a relationship with the Virgin Mary. Pentecostals stress the importance of speaking in tongues. And Baptists emphasize how necessary it is for one to be saved. We are products of our own environment, our own experience. For example, you don't have a lot of Pentecostals who have visions of the Virgin Mary. You don't have a lot of Baptists speaking in tongues. You don't have a lot of Roman Catholics talking about getting saved. Being a product of our own environment or our own experience shapes us into who we are in a variety of ways, and there are a lot of differences, a lot of things that are unique about each one of us based on where it is we grew up, how we grew up, and the experiences and the environment in which we found ourselves. But there is one common thread that runs through the whole Christian experience, no matter where it is we live. And this creates who we are that is the same. We are not unique in this regard. We are one and the same, whether we live on this side of the ocean or the other side. And the common thread is that we understand when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, when we are in relationship with him, we are transformed into another human being. We still look the same. We still may have the same family, live in the same house, but we are no longer the person we used to be. Paul put it this way, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. He also says we become a new creation in Christ Jesus, where the old has passed away, and behold, all things are new. We are no longer who we used to be. And when we are no longer who we used to be, then we have to understand who we are called to be, to be fully who it is God would have us to be. And that is critical in our understanding of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Because our calling fundamentally is to experience a relationship with Christ to such a degree that it transforms us into be, being the person God would have us to be fully and completely. In other words, when we are in relationship with Jesus Christ, we understand that our role is to say to God, you have all of me, fully and completely. You have my thoughts and you have my actions. I take you into consideration every day with how it is I go about living life. And for the Apostle Paul, that was critical in one's understanding of what it meant to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, particularly in the life of the church. 
This is how we experience the potential we have to be who it is God would have us to be fully and completely, and we cannot reach that potential outside of the body of Christ. As Will Willimon said, the church allows us to be more than we could ever be if left to our own devices. Now, what that means, of course, is that we can boldly proclaim and proudly say we are followers of Jesus Christ. We are Christian people. But if you read Paul's letter to the church at Rome, there's a next step. It is the understanding that we are to give of ourselves completely. And the way we give of ourselves completely primarily is through the life of the church, through its mission and ministry. In other words, to reach my full potential as a follower of Jesus Christ, I need you and you need me. We can't do it alone. The Christian faith is not a faith that allows us to be isolated or alienated from community. The church was born into existence to be community with the understanding that that's how we relate to each other and that's how we relate to our God, sharing in that experience together. And when we have those kinds of experiences together, we are no longer unique. We are who God would have us to be together, the same with a common understanding that God is to have all of me and all of you. Paul put it this way to the church of Rome, that we are to be a living sacrifice, giving of our bodies, that means our time and attention, our whole self to God, to be the one God calls us to be fully and completely. And every one of us have to work on that on a daily basis. It has to be a conscious decision that we make every morning when we get up that we put our relationship with Jesus Christ above every other relationship. And if we understand that, then the other relationships that we have with family and friends and coworkers and the world will fall into place because we have prioritized accordingly who and what matters most that shapes how we go into every other relationship and nurture those respective relationships. It's important for every one of us to recognize that we are called to be a living sacrifice. That is to, to surrender ourselves, all of us, to who it is God would have us to be. No matter where we live on planet Earth, no matter what kinds of unique experiences we have regarding culture and language and food and all of that, we are connected to the same Jesus who expects the same from every single one of us. I'm infatuated with the monarchy in England. I'm going to get up early in the morning, as I do every morning anyway, and watch the celebration of the life of Queen Elizabeth. She served for 70 years, as most of us know by now, on the throne. Every day of her life, she made a commitment. She was a woman, by the way, of deep faith because she understood her role as the head of the Church of England to be a role that was not only a title, but a responsibility. So she worked diligently at hard at her own faith development. 
So tomorrow we celebrate her life. Now we know that she was succeeded by Charles III, who has now become king. And Charles is doing his best to try to let people know that he is going to be in service to others as king to the same degree that his mother was for 70 years. We all know he has a hard act to follow, and he can't say anything else. He has to say, I'm going to try to do the very best I can, just as my mother did. And like his mother, he has said, whatever years God gives me left, I am going to give in service as king. Now, you all, we believe that there is a king that stands above all other kings. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. And he has been in service to all of humanity, giving of himself fully and completely, even to the point of death, all of his life here physically on earth and through all of history forever and ever. He is the one that finally and fundamentally we bow down to, and we look at him as the example of what service looks like and then emulate his life. Remember what Jesus said, I didn't come into the world. Now, this is the king of all kings. I didn't come into the world to be served. I came to serve. And then he says to those who follow him, if you want to be first, you have to learn how to be last. If you want to win your life, you learn how to lose it. That is to surrender it. If you want to be exalted, you have to first be humble. Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, teaches us repeatedly what it means to be in relationship with him. And if we emulate his life, if we try to do as he did, surrendering all of ourselves to him as he did to us, then we can reach the potential God has for us in our own lives in so many different ways. But there are a lot of people in the world, of course, who profess to be Christian, who don't particularly ever practice it in any way. Think about your own relationship with Jesus Christ for just a moment. Think about how much time and attention you give to that relationship on a daily basis. If you gave to your job the same amount of time and attention you give to Jesus, would you be considered a stellar employee? an example to everybody else? Or would you be one whose superiors are looking for any reason to get rid of you? If you give the same amount of time and attention that you give to Jesus Christ in your relationship with your friends, do you have strong relationships where they know you're dependable and reliable and trustworthy? Or are most of your relationships just pretty much superficial because there doesn't seem to be any effort on your part to nurture those relationships. If you are married and you give the same amount of time and attention to your respective spouse that you give to your relationship with Jesus Christ, do you have a strong, rock-solid marriage or is it a suffering relationship that is not growing and being nurtured? and is threatened in many ways. 
If you give your time and attention to your children to the same degree you give to your relationship with Jesus Christ, do your children know that you love them and you give them that time and attention because they're important to you, or do they not really know who you are? What is expected of us, says the Apostle Paul, is that we are to be a living sacrifice. That means we are to give all of ourselves fully and completely to that relationship that should be the one that stands above all other relationships. If people just see you and experience you on a regular basis, do they see the living Christ in you? Do they know just by the way you interact with other people, by the decisions that you make, by your behavior, that you follow Jesus Christ, that he is just naturally a part of the makeup of who you are? Every one of us are called in a very special and specific way to live a life that is an example to the world. And in the world today, there are a lot of people who are mean, spiteful, who claim to be Christians, who say all kinds of things to all kinds of people that are hurtful, is that really what God expects from us? Aren't we supposed to stand out in a crowd? Aren't we supposed to be different? Aren't we supposed to be an example of what love and grace and mercy and forgiveness look like lived out in our own respective lives? Now, every one of us can get angry and every one of us get mad and frustrated and we're put out with other people. That's a part of living on planet Earth. But it's how we respond to those particular situations that makes a great determination about how it is people perceive us. Does the message and the messenger look the same? And I think that's critically important for all of us to remember. Because the church was born into existence to be the personification of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. We are supposed to live in such a way that people are naturally drawn to us because there's something about us that is unique and different, something about us that they want for themselves. And the common thread that runs through every single church is an understanding that we are to be followers of Jesus Christ, emulating his life as best we can. I know there are times in my own life when I have not been a shining example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and you haven't always been that shining example either. And we know that we can repent and we can try again, but fundamentally, it ought to be at the top of our list every single day. Do we wake up in the morning, go through our routine, ever thinking about what God has presented to us in that respective day? and saying to God in some way or another, you are my priority. I pray that you give me the strength to do it right today. I think that's critically important. Paul and the early church in a variety of ways in many of his letters tries to offer instruction to the church about how to live. But remember, one of the things we have to understand is even when we do it the way Jesus would have us to do it, sometimes life is challenging and difficult and still painful. 
It is a false gospel to teach to people that if you just have enough faith, you're not going to go through difficulties in life. If you just have enough faith, you're always going to have the money that you need, and you're never going to be the person who's laid off or who gets a divorce or the kind of person that struggles financially or the kind of individual that never has to deal with the loss of a loved one. All of that is a false gospel if you ever hear it preached. What we believe is that when we go through those kinds of experiences in life, we don't do it alone. There is not the promise in Scripture that you're never going to suffer or be in pain. On the contrary, it says when you go through those trials, you're going to have one who stands with you who is a part of the makeup of who you are. The Apostle Paul himself was one who suffered greatly for the faith, imprisoned over and over again, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked. He went through great suffering because he was a leader in the early church. He could have avoided a great deal of that had he not claimed Christ as Lord. But in doing so, Paul says... I suffer and I'm okay with it because I follow the one who suffered for me. So when we think about what it means to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, to be a living sacrifice, that is to give all of ourselves to who it is God would have us to be. And quite frankly, and I've fallen prey to this at one time or another in my own life, sometimes my self-image of who I am in relationship with Jesus Christ is a false image. Sometimes in my own life, I think I'm better than I am. And somehow someone will call me out and expose those sins or those weaknesses in my own life that I have buried or pushed away that are still evident to everybody else, but I rise above it even when I don't. And sometimes in life, when we're in relationship with Jesus Christ, in some way or through someone, those kinds of sins will surface. And we have to deal with them accordingly. And we see ourselves for who we really are, in need of a Savior. Years ago, I read a story about a man who was in the service industry. And it was his job, unfortunately, to field complaints from people in his respective business. People would come up to his desk, and they would yell and scream and holler. And in the article, he said, I was sick and tired of being sprayed with the spittle from the mouth of angry people on a daily basis. And he came up with what I thought was an ingenious plan Behind his desk, he put a huge mirror. And when people came up and started yelling at him, they saw themselves, a reflection of themselves, how they really looked when they were in the process of being angry and spitting on someone else. And in doing so, he said very quickly, people calmed down and he did not have the same issue to deal with like he had previously. You know why? Sometimes when we see ourselves for who we really are, what we really look like to God, it's not very pleasing. Even if we have convinced ourselves 
that we're who we should be. God, you have all of me. Every day I give myself completely to you, and we know deep down inside that is absolutely false. And somehow, someway, God puts a mirror in front of us through some kind of a situation or circumstance or person or relationship, and we see ourselves in the moment. And it's not very pleasant to look at sometimes. So we give ourselves all over again, repenting of our sin, trying to do better. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We don't always get it right, but by golly, we ought to be trying every single day. It goes with the territory. So if we think about Paul writing a letter to the early church, to the early church mothers and fathers and saying to them, this is how you were to live. The expectation was, of course, that we live that way in and through the mission and ministry of the church. To be a Christian does not mean we stand in isolation. It means that we are involved in the life of the church. The faith and the Christian community called the body of Christ go hand in hand. They are not mutually exclusive. So as we start having people come back as a result of getting through this pandemic, we have Sunday school classes and we have mission opportunities and we have worship experiences and we have all these ways in which we can get involved in the life of the church. My question to you is, when you say, as you should every day, God, you have all of me, how are you living that out through Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church? In what way are you doing that? Are you sitting back and letting everybody else volunteer? Are you assuming that everybody else is gonna contribute financially to the mission and ministry of the church? Or are you truly committed to saying, I am the one, God, who surrenders myself to you as a living sacrifice. You have all of me in and through the life of the church. If the answer is anything other than that being a true statement, then you have a lot of work to do, and so do I. And we can hear sermons like this all we want, and there's a part of us that may be tugged on just a little bit that feels a twinge of guilt, and then we leave and we go about our business. But it doesn't work that way. And it's fascinating. You all listen to this. It is fascinating to recognize that being a part of the life of the church and an active part of the life of the church is good for you in every way. It is good for you physically. It is good for you spiritually. It is good for you relationally. And I literally mean physically. I want to read something that I cut out of a uh, Christianity Today magazine early in the year. Dr. Tyler Vanderweel, who is an epidemiology professor at Harvard, for a decade researched how regular church attendance impacted healthcare workers. He studied a group of people, healthcare workers, who attended worship regularly. Now, this is a professor of epidemiology at Harvard. Listen to this. He says, medical workers who said they attended religious services frequently 
were 29% less likely to become depressed and about 50% less likely to divorce. Healthcare professionals who attended services weekly were 33% less likely to die during a 16-year follow-up period than people who never attended. Listen, your, your health is at stake, you all. And then this is what he said for those of you who have children and grandchildren. He said, people who attended church as children regularly are also more likely to grow up happy, to be forgiving, to have a sense of mission and purpose, and to volunteer. Regular church service attenders also had far fewer what he refers to as deaths of despair, deaths by suicide, drug overdose, or alcohol than people who never really attended worship, reducing those deaths in women by 68% and in men by 33%. And he says his findings are extensive and growing. You all, it is good for you in every way to say to God, Lord, you have all of me, and I'm going to show you what that means through the life, mission, and ministry of Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church. You have all of me. Listen to what Paul said that I read a while ago. If you're good at prophesying, then be a prophet. If you're generous, you should be extra generous. If you're a teacher, teach. And Paul could have a list a mile long. If you're good with babies, go volunteer in the nursery or be a part of the diaper bank or the food bank or be a part of something in the life of the church that creates new mission and ministry opportunities. But the bottom line is, no matter where you are from, what part of the earth, no matter what your experiences are in life, no matter what environment you grew up in, it is all the same for us when it comes to Jesus Christ. He is to have all of us. So I hope you'll make that commitment. I really do. I hope this isn't an experience where you come to church, you sit down and you leave, and you may or may not come back at a later date. But it is a kind of experience where you say, God, I have decided I can't do this by myself. I need you and I need the body of Christ. So you have all of me. That's who we are. We are a people, as Paul said, who are a living sacrifice. That's all of me, and that's all of you. Hallelujah. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning in the hymn of invitation is number 540, I Love Thy Kingdom, Lord. As we sing our closing hymn, if there are those today here in the sanctuary who would like to unite with Pulaski Heights United Methodist Church, you'll find a card in the pew in front of you that says how to join. During our closing hymn, the ministers will come down to the front. We invite you to come forward. We'll give you the vows of the church and celebrate your presence with us today. If you're watching online or on television, please be in touch with us here at the church, and we'll be happy to give you information about how you can become a part of this faith community as well. So however you choose to do that, we hope today is the day in which you make that decision as we all stand together to sing.
I hope on your way out today, if you see one of the third graders holding a Bible, you'll tell them how proud we are of them and we encourage them to read it every single day. And for those of you who are parents, I hope you'll make that commitment to do just that with your respective children. So we say to all of you, God bless you. Have a great week. Walk with Jesus. And tell somebody about Pulaski Heights, the United Methodist Church. Love God, love neighbor, and change the world.